So we are in the middle of Read Your Bible. It's a series that we do every single year. Uh, we did it a little bit differently this year. If you've been coming to Journey, you would be like, well, I usually do this during the summer. We do usually do it during the summer. However, we did it on purpose this year because we chose the book of Mark to read through. And if you've noticed, the book of Mark leads us right up to Easter and all the parables that we've chosen. So it was done on a very intentional purpose why we did it that way this year. So sets us up, uh, if you've been paying attention, the, the series kind of sets up how Jesus turned the Jewish culture on its head. And he's leading into this final week as we go into, uh, as we go into the time where he uh, died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so all of the parables, everything we've been doing has kind of been on, not kind of been, it has been on purpose, just like it was very on purpose on, in his life, to be able to set up what we're going to celebrate next week. Today is no different. But if you weren't here, Matt kicked it off, then, Chris, then Shin talked, and then Chris talked last week. And if you weren't here for any of them, you've got to go back and listen to them, because I'm not going to recap any of it other than the fact of what we're talking about. So the whole point of this series is for you to do what? That's exactly what it is, all right? So to read your Bible. So in order to do that, we, uh, we use the, the acronym uh, SOAP, all right? And so if you've been here throughout the years, you've, we've also used this before. It is just a method. It is a Bible study tool. It is not the only one out there. We do not intend on changing your personal Bible study method, if you have one, to make this it, all right? We just want to give you something easy. If you're new to studying your scriptures, this is a really easy one to remember uh, how to do it, all right? And so SOAP is pretty simple. You start with a scripture passage. All right, we're going to do that this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you an example of how I do this, all right? And so each one of us, as we preach through this series, you, we kind of give you an example of how each one of us is a little bit different. We're, we're wired differently, so we, we try to show you how that works because all of you guys are wired differently. So you're going to, even though you might use soap, how you soap through the scriptures is going to look different, right? Uh, then you observe. Oh, observation. You make the observations about the text, all right? And you'll see how we go through uh, and do that. So I make uh, a lot of observations uh, when I do my soaping through the scriptures before, after. I just, that's where I try to make the Bible come alive like a video game or a movie in my head. Um, might be scary, but it usually works out pretty well for me. And then, uh, then application. How do we apply a, a, a scripture that was written over 2,000 years ago, sometimes over 7,000 years ago, how do we apply it to our everyday life in our, in our modern-day uh, world, right? And so then we pray over it, okay? So that's just a Bible study method tool, and that's what we're going to be doing here today, and it works really well whether you've got five minutes or two hours, all right? And so we realize that not everybody has two hours to give to Bible study on a daily basis, but we really do encourage you guys, make sure that you're studying the Scriptures, the Word of God is His words to us to be able to make it through life. It is the active, like Matt, or Chris was talking about last week, uh, it is the active, living, breathing Word of God, sharper than a double-edged sword, right? And so it's able to, it challenges us, but if we aren't reading it, we'll never know what it is that God has in store for us on that day. So we've got to be able to read it, right? So as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, We've been using the parables of Jesus, right? All right, so if you've been here, that's what we've been focusing upon. And Mark, if you, if you know anything about the book of Mark, Mark is agreed upon by almost every theologian out there that he is the author of this book. Most theologians also agree that he was Peter's secretary or interpreter. So Peter would have 
uh, spoken Hebrew. Uh, Mark would have spoken Arabic or Greek. And so they believed that Mark was the interpreter for Peter's messages and, and the message that he taught. Mark was not one of the original disciples, okay, or the apostles. So that is, he wrote his book. Mark wrote his book to the Gentile believers, to those who would have been more of Greek origin. So that is why if you read any of the Gospels, uh, you might think, well, Mark's really easy to understand. Yeah, you want to know why? Because we are heavily influenced by Greek culture, right? And so Mark was written really to people like you and I in that culture, okay? So uh, it's super easy to understand. Um, it's one of the reasons why we chose Mark to go through as well, all right? So uh, he didn't include all the extra Jewish nuances in his gospel recordings, all right? So you can also find many of the parables that, that Mark talked about in the other gospels, all right? And you'll see that uh, today as we go through this, this morning too. But Mark makes it easy for us to understand what Jesus was really trying to get across. Uh, and then as, as I read through this passage this morning, it really comes alive in a way, I hope it comes alive to you like it, it did to me too this week. Because I never, I never looked at this parable in the light that I'm going to be preaching it this morning. I've read the parable a thousand times, maybe not a thousand. I read the parable a lot, but it never jumped off the page like it did today. So I'm going to try and hopefully make it uh, jump off the page as well today. Because a parable is a story, okay? A parable is simply a story with a point. And when you read this, if you, if you ever tell a story to a child or tell a story to anybody else, you can create, you can tell, make incredible, powerful statements through a story. And that's really what Jesus did. And you'll see how Jesus really got under the skin of the Pharisees and the elders of the, of the law and the Sadducees this morning, uh, and just with his parables, all right? And it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, he was so adept, so adept at calling out the religious leaders of the day, and he is not going to disappoint uh, today. In fact, if, you, if you're coming in here today and you're one of those people that think that Jesus was this really meek and mild-mannered uh, sheep petter, um, he just wasn't, okay? That's just not what he was. Right? He was a beast, man. He, was, he did not have fear. He, he, he would confront anybody, and he did it in such a way that they knew exactly what he was doing, but they couldn't cast blame upon him. It was phenomenal. And then today, the way he, the way he set this up was, I just am like, oh, I'm so excited for you guys to see this side of Jesus. Because a lot of people don't think that Jesus was inflammatory. They think that he was always bringing peace. Uh, after today, he was, he was throwing gas on a fire, all right? And you've really got to understand what Jesus was trying to get across in this last week of his life. So today's story, uh, we got to set the stage. Because what would have just happened, I, I, in order to understand the scriptures, you got to like look back at what was being said. And so in today's story that we're going to read here in a second, Palm Sunday had just happened, all right? So Palm Sunday, just like in the scriptures, that's when they all hailed Jesus coming in on the donkey and they welcomed him in and hailed him as king. And then right after that was Monday, and if you read the scriptures, all of the different gospels, was, you, it doesn't take a lot of interpretation because it, it says on Monday. Um, and so, <laughs> not a genius here. So on Monday, he, he flipped over the tables, that was the day that he took in the time and he weaved the braided rope and... And a lot of times people think, well, it would just been like the foyer out there, and he just turned over a couple tables, like maybe folding tables or something. No, there would have been thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of animals that he drove from the temple courts, and multiple thousands and thousands of people. 
and hundreds of tables. This, this Passover week was the biggest week in the Jewish year possible. And he's flipping. So that was Monday. That was, that was the next day. All right. That was the day before the story we're going to talk about today. All right. And then he cursed the fig tree. And so that was all on Monday, the day after Palm Sunday. So we got Palm Sunday, Monday, turning over the tables, flipping or, or cursing the fig trees. And then we come to Tuesday. Well, what does Jesus have in store for us on this beautiful Tuesday morning as he's walking to the temple courts? Now, how do we know he's taught, walking in the temple courts? Because it, it said so. So we know that. Um, again, we just have to immerse ourselves in the story. Like, imagine that you are right there with Jesus. Like, the, the story is coming alive to us. And that's really what Jesus was doing. So he's on his way to the, he's on his way walking through the temple courts uh, and it's on Tuesday right after he flipped over it and it says as he's walking through the temple courts he's probably checking to see if the temp that the money changes are doing the right thing can you imagine being one of those so he's walking to and they're like Jesus Jesus be on good behavior be on good behavior he's got his whip beside him like we don't really know but I imagine he's probably if if I if I were Jesus which obviously I'm not the glint in Jesus's eye on this morning would have been just fantastic. Like he is on a mission and he's probably got the whip strapped to his side. Just as a reminder, hey guys, I'm the boss, right? So this just happened. He's in there on Tuesday morning. Now that's me providing a little bit of extra detail, all right? But the story's not that far off with what's going to happen. So we get into Mark 11, all right? So this is Tuesday. Mark 11, I want to read for you uh, the scenario that sets up the parable. So oftentimes Christ will tell a parable to answer a question that he was confronted with, all right? So we have to go back and say, okay, well, what, did, what prompted his parable, right? So this is, this is what prompted the coming parable. So they arrived again in Jerusalem while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, all right? This is Tuesday after he cleared the temple courts. They're walking in the temple courts. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. Now that's important to understand. Those are the most powerful men of the city. All right? The only more powerful people are the Roman governors. All right? These people right here had the Roman ear, the Roman senate. The, they, they were the ones that could dictate what was going to happen to a Jew living under Roman law. These were the most... you got to get this piece. These are... This would be like the president walking in on you and confronting you, all right? The, you couldn't have had more powerful people against Jesus than these guys right here, okay? Keep going. And they ask him, all right? And they're, they're also alluding to what happened yesterday, right? So they're well aware of what's going on. And they come up to him basically saying, who the heck do you think you are? What authority are you doing these things? It wasn't just like a nice little, hey, Man, what, what authority do you do? No, they're, they're in a big group confronting Jesus in front of the crowds. This is the biggest time in the Jewish history. You couldn't have had more crowds. Jesus was in town. Everybody, there was the electricity in the city. Everybody was there to hear Jesus' teachings. You couldn't have, this couldn't have been a bigger showdown than this question right here. Who do you think you are? Why, what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Legitimate question. They are the keepers of the law. They're the ones that have to keep the peace in the city for the Romans. They're the ones put in charge to, to be the, the spokespeople. 
Okay, keep going. Jesus replied, okay. <laughs> I can just see the glint in his eyes. This is, this is just where I guess This gets fun, all right? If any of you have this personality, those of you that are like peaceful people probably won't get this as much and you'll think I'm wrong, but you need to understand it from my perspective, I'm right, all right? So um, he's got, this is, this is getting fun. Jesus is about ready to have a, have a heyday with these guys, all right? He's going to get under their skin and he's going to enjoy every minute of it. He goes, okay, guys, let me ask you a question. All right, answer me. You answer me and I'll answer you. And I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or was it of human origin? Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. Get back with me. All right. So we don't know how long it goes on, but we, this is a pretty big question. Like this isn't just something to gloss over. Like they, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of law, they're confronting his authority. Everybody's watching. This is a big deal. The crowds are watching to see who Jesus against all the religious leaders. It was one man against the rest of them, all right? He was turning the culture on its head. Go back and listen to everything we've read about so far. Jesus turned the Jewish culture on its head. Keep going. They discussed it among themselves and said, okay, if we say it's from heaven, he's then going to ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, oh man, that's not going to go well because they feared the people for everyone held that John the Baptist, and John had already lost his head by this point in time, right? Remember, you, remember that story? King had it chopped off and served on a silver platter. Okay, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. They're in a conundrum. Okay, so here's their answer. So they answered Jesus. Oh, we don't know. <laughs> not going to trap us, Jesus. So here comes the glint. Okay. Then I'm not going to answer your question either. And on he goes. Oh, imagine being the one in charge to be told you're not answering their question. You the boss. You the king. You hold the authority and some young 33-year-old is going to snub his nose at you in a culture where the patriarch is the bomb. Like, you couldn't have had more of an in-your-face moment than this. We got to put ourselves there, okay? Because that's what's happening. Jesus was not making peace in this moment, and the people were watching. That's what sets up the parable. The, the electricity in the air, would have, the tension, folks, would have been able to be cut with a knife because the people are like, what are they going to do? Like, he just, he just fronted the highest-ranking people in the synagogue, in the temple courts, on Passover weekend. Wow. And the Pharisees aren't doing anything. This guy has some power. This is everything that we're going to study in this last week of Jesus' life. If you read it from this perspective... It is a saga of power and authority. And Jesus is not found lacking anywhere. Many people think, well, he cried when he was in Gethsemane. The reason he was crying is he was about to be separated from his dad for the first time in the history of creation, in the history of the world. Never had Jesus and God ever been separated. 
That's what Jesus was crying about. He didn't, he didn't want to have to go through it without his dad. God, and, God the Father, God the Son had never been separated before. That's what Jesus was crying about in Gethsemane. He wasn't afraid of these authority people. This story of power, even when he gets before Pilate, after he's been whipped to within his skin hanging like ribbons, and, and Pilate's like, Jesus, I have the power. And Jesus looks at Pilate, the, 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 the governor of Rome, says, you don't have any power. You don't have any other power other than what I give you. This whole week was about the power of Christ as the Messiah. And if you miss that in, this, in these parables, in his last week of life, you're missing the whole point of what he was establishing his role here on earth. All right? So that, my friends, sets up this next passage, Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. This is the parable. So all that tension is going on. Put yourself in it. Feel the tension. Feel the, the, the in your face, right? The glint in Jesus' eye, the rope, the, the whip hanging on his side, and the throngs of people following him and listening to him, right? So Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. Oh, here he goes again. A man planted a vineyard, and he pulled a wall around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Now, everybody in the area would have known what this looked like, because this is what everybody did. There's all kinds of wine presses and, and vineyards out there. So then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Okay? This sounds like a normal story right now. All right. So it's the story of a vineyard. Some guy got gypped because his workers revolted. So then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Some of them they beat, and others they killed. Now he's alluding to all of the prophets. And now the, the, you'll see here in a moment, the leaders, the elders, the, the teachers of the law, they knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. But it's a parable, so Jesus could say, I'm just telling a story, right? But the, you ever had one of those moments where you can't prove what they're doing, but they're like snubbing you in the face? All right, that's exactly what Jesus is doing to these guys. He's talking about what God did for the Israelite people, the Jewish nation, and all the prophets that had been killed and slaughtered before, all the way down to John the Baptist, right? He's retelling the story of the Jewish people through the story of the vineyard. The, the Pharisees of the law knew exactly what was happening, but watch what happens. He had one left to send. Folks, remember, we're on Palm Sunday. Jesus knows what's coming. He did this on purpose. This is Tuesday, his last Tuesday alive, right? This wasn't, this wasn't a joke. This is, he, he's setting this up like we get to view this and be like, wow, Jesus was amazing. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they'll certainly respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they killed him, they took him and killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Oh, plot twist. Keep reading. Then Jesus looks at the crowd and says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants. Oh, folks, I don't know if you're catching this, but he just laid down the gauntlet. 
because he's talking to the Pharisees. He's going to come and he's going to kill those tenants and he's going to give the vineyard to others. He's going to expand it past the Jewish nation. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Remember, this is a power struggle. Jesus is saying, I have all the power in the world. I can do whatever I want. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the God of gods. And if I want to give my kingdom away, I will give my kingdom to whoever I want. In fact, I'm going to give it to the degenerate Gentiles because you all don't get what I'm doing. That's what he's saying right here. Haven't you read the passage of Scripture? And he knows they did. In fact, everybody in the temple courts would have read the Scripture. Now he's quoting the Old Testament. See, when you study, and these are all, you see how I'm making observations along the way, making the Scripture? Now he, the Scripture's interpreting Scripture. Have you never read the passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting the Psalms. In fact, he's quoting more than the Psalms. He's quoting, uh, he's quoting Psalm 118.22, Isaiah 8.14, Isaiah 28.16. He's quoting Zechariah 4.7, Zechariah 10.4. In fact, this passage is requoted in Acts 11.4.11. It's requoted in Peter. It's, this story is retold in Matthew 21.32-46 and Luke 29-20. He is quoting the Old Testament for these teachers of the law just so that they know exactly what he's talking about. He is digging deep. He is infuriating the teachers and the Pharisees of the law. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he has chosen his words with exact, precise a point, like with an intentional, I am going to show you exactly who I am. Keep going. Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him. They were so angry because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. All of the power just turned around and walked away. And you want to know what the people saw in that? The crowd would have been cheering. I want to read for you what, how Luke interprets this, all right? Because in this, before I get to Luke, what we have to understand here, what Jesus just did, that, that passage of scripture that he quoted was a messianic prophecy, all right? He quoted a messianic prophecy for himself. He just unapologetically said, I am the cornerstone. That was a big deal. You'd be like, okay, who really cares about a cornerstone? Uh, when that's your messianic, one of the many messianic prophecies, the teachers of the law knew exactly what Jesus just did. I am the cornerstone. Whoo! If we thought the temple flipping over tables was a big deal, for him to say this to the teachers of the law, the keepers of the pharisaical rule, this was a big deal. So big, they wanted to arrest Jesus on the spot. But they couldn't. But let's look at Luke's account on what happened in this, all right? Because when you're making observations, all right, get a good study Bible, it'll even tell you, hey, look up Luke, all right? So I looked up Luke. I didn't have to do, there's so, you don't have to be really very intelligent oftentimes when you're reading the Bible because the Bible just interprets itself, okay? It's really simple that way. So Luke 2019, this is retelling the story. We jump into it right here. I'm not going to read the whole part of it. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. 
because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people, just like what Mark said, but this is where it's different. Watch what they did. If you're wondering why I'm saying this is a big power struggle, look at how big of a power struggle it was from the Pharisees' standpoint. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies. What do you send spies for if it's not a power struggle? All right. Jesus was declaring his authority over the teaching of the Pharisees. This was the biggest power play you can ever possibly imagine in the Jewish culture. He just dictated, I am the cornerstone. I am the Messiah. And too many times we gloss over this or we miss this. There was so big, the priests sent in spies who pretended to be sincere. They infiltrated it. Why? So that they could bring accusations. They, they couldn't kill anybody, but they could take a case to Rome. They had to have enough evidence to take Jesus to the Roman Empire to have the Romans kill him. And so they were setting up a case, and Jesus was giving them what they needed. All right? And Jesus knew he was giving them what they needed. Why? Because this was how it was all supposed to ha happen. They hoped to catch Jesus in something that he said so that they might hand him over the power and authority of the governor. Why? To crucify him. The tension in the air is so thick, my friends. And you and I, we miss it because, number one, a lot of times we don't even read the Bible. That's the easiest way to miss it. And then when we do miss, when we do read it, we don't read it with the intention of really trying to understand what was happening. This, this was Jesus' last week on earth. You better believe he was very intentional about what he was choosing to say and how he was choosing to say it, where he was at when he was saying it, and who he was saying it to. The Pharisees, they all knew this, all right? He was, if you want to use common, he was coming at them, right? That's what he was doing. He knew it, they knew it, and they were setting up to kill him. That's how this was going down this week. This message was not falling on deaf ears. In fact, it wasn't just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers and the elders of the city and of the law that heard it. The people heard it. They were amazed. I mean, imagine the people who have been oppressing you and kind of making deals with the government and, and subjecting you to rules that you didn't agree with. I mean, we can't relate to that at all. But imagine that was what was happening. And then all of a sudden, a ruler was standing up to those unjust rulers, and they didn't have a way to, to confront him. Imagine that actually happened in today's life. But it, it was happening then. And that's what Jesus was doing. The people were excited. Like it was like, yes, look at, how, the, look at what, how Mark responds or how Mark says it. While Jesus was teaching him in temple courts, he even, he, he didn't, this is why I said he had a glint in his eye. Because after they walked away, Jesus kept digging. You ever have one of those moments where the, uh, this is just gold, all right? Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? He's calling himself the Messiah. Keep going. David himself is speaking by the Holy Spirit. He declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. Who did he just took all the enemy? The tenants. What did he just say was going to happen to those tenants? God was going to destroy them. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. This is going to be our new king. This is going to be our new ruler. He has silenced 
our oppressors. This is all happening 400 years after there had been no communication from God. The whole Jewish nation was waiting for their Messiah. Jesus is now saying, I am the Messiah. How can, he's quoting David. This, this Tuesday in the, life of David, in the life of Jesus set the course for an incredible power struggle. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And the crowds listened to him with delight. Man, I wish we could have been there to see it. But the question is, where would we have been with them? Which, which side would we have been on? Because here's the reality. The same crowd that, that looked at him with amazement and delight, Jesus only got to enjoy that fame for about two more days, and then that same crowd is the crowd that crucified him. Same crowd. How volatile this week is for our Savior. You see how he's setting this whole thing up for the week? He knew the same people that are mesmerized by his confrontation of authority are going to be the same ones that are going to crucify him by the end of the week. Why is that? Well, let's get to our application. Because it's really a simple application. Over the years in ministry, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, Jesus never really came right out and said he was the Messiah. Eh, pretty sure he did. Pretty sure he did. Jesus never really said he was the only way. Eh, pretty sure he did, unless you're not reading what he said. Well... Times have changed. That was 2,000 years ago. We can't really apply what Jesus said. Meh, pretty sure you can. We just don't like to. It's the same thing that happened back then. You see, Jesus went on to say, if you keep reading what Jesus did this week, Jesus went on to confront society. Jesus went on to declare who he is. Jesus went on to continue to establish that he is the only way to get to heaven. And he continued to offend people, and then they had him killed. It's pretty much like what we do today. We, we like to pick and choose the Jesus we believe in. We like to espouse this part of Jesus' teachings. But unless we're reading the Bible, we don't even know what Jesus really even said. So it's really important, if you're going to say you follow Jesus in this application of the vineyard, if you're really going to make him your cornerstone, if you're really going to say that Jesus is the one who holds you all together, then you probably need to know what he said. But the chances are, just like in our church today, not journey, but in the people who say they follow Jesus today, we oftentimes just pick and choose what we want to believe about Jesus. It's, we're no different. We can't sit here sanctimoniously and say, yeah, I wouldn't have crucified Jesus. You know, because if we don't believe Jesus is everything that he said, then we're just like the fickle crowd that had him crucified. That's really what we are. So this, the application is really pretty simple. What are you going to do with the capstone? Okay. When he quoted himself on that, that scripture passage, this is what the, the question is we got to ask ourselves. What are you going to do with the capstone, the cornerstone that the builders rejected? What are you going to do with it? Because it doesn't really matter what the early Jewish people did, the, the crowd there. It doesn't matter what the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees did. 
doesn't matter what I do or Pastor Matt or Chris or Shin or anybody else. It doesn't matter what your mom and dad choose or your aunt and uncle. At the end of the day, what really matters is what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with his message? Because it doesn't really, he can't, he can't affect you without you choosing him. He can't be the Lord of your life without you choosing him to be the Lord of your life. He can't be your cornerstone without you choosing him to be your cornerstone. We can't just pick and choose what we want to like about what Jesus says. Because he's said a lot. Now it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. That's why Jesus died. He knew we weren't going to be perfect. He knew we were going to have struggles and mess things up. That's why we have to rely upon him. That's why we have to trust him. But we still have to choose what we're going to do with him. So if, if Mark was Peter's uh, secretary, I want, I want to go to what Peter said, all right? Because what did Peter have to say about the cornerstone? What did Peter have to say about the capstone? Uh, he, he led the church just like the early apostles did too. He wrote a book called First and Second Peter and wrote a couple other ones as well. So we have teachings of his. All right, so let's, let's read what he wrote, how, are, how he challenged us to confront this or deal with this cornerstone in our lives. As you come to him, so imagine Peter is standing here before us today because he was there. He, was, he saw Jesus do all these things. So as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God. He's recounting the whole thing that happened during this week, right? Chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house. You, my journey people, my journey brothers and sisters, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, that priesthood of believers. If you've ever been in church circles long enough and you heard that word like priesthood of believers, what's a priesthood of believers? It's the body of Christ, those who choose to follow him. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Keep going. For in the scripture it says, again, now we're quoting the same scripture Jesus quoted, same scripture that was in the Old Testament. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, he quotes the scripture, Old Testament. Then he says, now to you who believe, each one of you in this room, here's the application. Those of you that have chosen to believe in Jesus, this week when you recall what Jesus did, it is a sweetness to your soul, right? To those of you who believe, this stone is precious. Jesus is precious to you. But to those of you who don't believe, and i got to believe in a crowd this big, there's those of you that don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Keep going. That stone has become a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. His teachings irritate you they anger you you don't like exactly everything that he said you're not sure you buy into it all you're not sure this is really all that there is to this whole thing you're not sure you really buy into jesus really being the only way because if jesus really was a loving god he wouldn't like really send people to hell oh yes he will that's what he says he says i am the only way i'm the only way we do not serve a universalist god if you believe that god is a universalist god you aren't reading jesus you're not following what Jesus says. He says, I am the only way to get to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to get to God except through me. We have to, we have to accept what Jesus says. So there, this rock 
causes people to stumble. It causes people to fall because we don't, we don't want to believe that God is actually ever going to hold people accountable to their faith. And he's going to. Now, according to Peter as well, he's infinitely patient in that process. Why? Because he doesn't want to. Because he's, he's going to have to. And he's given us his son, the cornerstone, so that we don't have to be held accountable like those who don't believe. They stumble because they disobey the message of Christ, which is also what they were destined for. Now, there's a lot of question as to predestination and everything that he's alluding to there. Don't have time to get into that one. But the reality is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? It comes down to that. It's a simple application. He's the cornerstone. So, will you accept Jesus for who he says he is? That's the question of the day. Will you accept Jesus for who he says he is? Or will you allow his teachings to trip you up? So as we go through this, you see how we pick the scripture passage. This is how I do all my Bible study. You saw me observe the passage. You saw me cross-reference different passages. You saw me dig into the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it, how it answered its own prophecies. You saw how I applied it to my life and I'm offering an application to your life. That's soaping through the scriptures. Soaping through one of the most powerful parables. They're all powerful. Who am I kidding? I love Jesus' parables. They're all amazing. But folks, this is a powerful week in Jesus' life. This is Holy Week. And, and he gave the people then an opportunity, and he continues to give all of us an opportunity 2,000 years later. A simple opportunity to choose what are we going to do with Jesus. Is he our cornerstone that holds it all together and he is the focus of our, of our belief? Or is he the stone that causes us to get all tripped up in our belief system? It's your choice and you have to make it on your own. No one can make it for you. So I don't do this bow your head, close your eyes business. Because the Bible says if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the angels throw a party, okay? They're, they're hooting and hollering and blowing trumpets and having a party up in heaven. I've never quite figured out why we want everybody to keep it a secret when you give your life to Christ. Because if, if you can't tell someone in the room full of Christians that you want to believe in Jesus, you're going to have a really hard time telling anybody out there that you made a decision to follow Jesus. So I just want to ask you, everybody looking around, every head on a swivel, because if someone raises their hand now, you know they're serious that they want Jesus in their life. All right. Now, do I want to make you feel threatened? No, I want you to celebrate. Maybe Jesus has been tripping you up too long. Maybe this is a day where you're like, you know what? I am done being tripped by Jesus. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do it in front of this audience right here. And I am unashamed and unafraid because Jesus was unashamed and unafraid too. He is now my cornerstone. If, you, if you've never done that, and today's the day where you're like, I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand. We'll all hoot and holler for you. And I'll say a prayer with you. Anybody in here? Don't feel, I'm not going to be embarrassed if no one raises their hand. But I'm not going to close the sermon without giving you the opportunity. So if there's anybody in here, I can't really see. Raise your hand. It's scary, I know. But Jesus did it. He confronted the elders. We're safe. We're going to scream and holler for you. All right. Yes, we've got one. That is amazing. Give him Amen. Praise Jesus. Love you, brother. You are now, 
You are now in the priesthood of believers. Amen. I can't even tell you what that does for me. All right. Why is that so important? Because we now have another brother in Christ because of what Jesus did. And he can do it in you. Maybe some of you are still on that bubble. You're like, I ain't raising my hand. I get it. That takes courage. But I want you to know this, that you can make that decision at any time. And here's the prayer that I want you to pray. I'm going to say a prayer, so I invite you to pray this prayer with me after, as I'm praying. And it's really simple. It goes like this. So all of you, but now you can bow your head and pray with me and thank Jesus that we have another brother coming into Christ with us, into the kingdom with us. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you for being the cornerstone of my life. God, I don't know everything. God, I have sinned and fallen short. But from this day forward, I am going to try to live my life following you and all of your teachings. God, forgive me for all of my sins and help me to follow you the rest of my life until the day you return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. The angels in heaven, the angels in heaven are dancing right now. And I'm about ready to dance too. All right. That, my friends, is a message that we have to share with the world. We have the good news of Jesus Christ, unapologetically unashamed. Let me just say a prayer and blessing with you guys as we go from here today. Dear God, you are an amazing God. And Lord, you preached a hard message for every single one of us. And yet, Lord, you have given us an incredible blessing of your Holy Spirit living inside of all of us who choose to believe, whether it's today or we've been following you for 40 years, the Holy Spirit is alive and at work within us today. And so, God, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise here today. And Lord, wherever we're at in our walk with you, may we choose daily to follow you with all of our heart and soul and mind. May you continue to come alive and answer the questions that we have in our life with you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for it. All that you do for us. God, we love you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.